cliffcentral.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we talk to JJ Cornish twice a month on our African analysis feature, which is, of course, brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. So today we're going to speak to the Makulubas, the dean of the Johannesburg Business School. He is Professor Randall Karulison, and he joins us now. Uh, Prof, nice to see you. How are you? Ah, well, thanks. You got me out of bed early, so that's a good, good start. <laughs> well, I hope so. It's getting, it's getting chilly in the mornings, but we've got a good reason to talk to you. I was saying yeah. uh, while we were waiting for you to come on that uh, we celebrated Africa Day last week, and I think that's the perfect time for us to, to discuss what you guys at the Joburg Business School are doing in respect of digital transformation in Africa. And we, of course, are, are very pleased and proud to host every two weeks J.J. Cornish, who gives us a wrap-up of what's going on in the in the continent of Africa. Of course, we think that it doesn't get the amount of attention that it deserves. People are way more interested, or perhaps they, they pretend to be more interested, or perhaps the media are more interested in what's going on in China and Russia and the Ukraine and America. But actually, on our own doorstep, there are lots of exciting and interesting and sometimes uh, tremendously important things that are going on. So let's just start off there. I mean, Africa Day, uh, what does it mean to you? And, and how involved is the Joburg Business School in African affairs, in, in the news from the continent? Uh, look, we are uh, a business school that has recently conf- reconfigured itself to focus on digital transformation. In fact, training leaders that are fit for the future and catching the wave of what I are as it as it sweeps the, the globe. Um, and you know, UJ is famous, well, well known for um, the fourth industrial revolution, embracing the art. So we took a conscious decision when I started last year to to also refocus our business school to look at training leaders that are fit for the future and specifically to look at the African context because I believe personally and I think some a lot of intellectual will, will, will bear me out on this is that if we don't catch this wave of digitization uh, we are going to be go slip further behind as a continent and we've got challenges but at least this yeah. opens up an opportunity for us to, to, to step right into all of those uh, ladders of opportunity that now exist, and I can deal with some of them. So it's a very exciting time for us. And as a business school, uh, repositioning ourselves as boldly as we did last year caused me a couple of gray hairs. You can imagine, <laughs> you know, a 90-degree turn well, uh, away from the business landscape, yeah? But well, uh, I, I mean, think not. So, Prof, the, the, the great thing about being in Africa is it, it's kind of mobile first and has been for well over 10 years. You know, we're, we're a continent of people who... Uh, figure out the quickest way. Sometimes it isn't along all the steps that everyone else has to take because we we jump over a few of them to get to where we're going. Yeah. Our banking systems are quite evolved. We have things like Mpesa in uh, in Kenya and Tanzania. We have systems which allow people to transfer money, allow people to trade with each other, allow people to communicate in ways that were not possible before. In some ways. Technology has been the great equalizer and has opened up tremendous opportunity for all Africans, young and old. Absolutely. Um, if if you look at our well, some statistics will bear me out here, the mm. chances of you finding a job doubles when you're in an internet environment. Okay, so if you have access to internet, your wow. chances of jobs or, or, or self-sufficiency actually doubles. I should say doubles. Uh, over the past 20 years, African uh, internet penetration has shot up quite dramatically. Although we're still far behind the rest of the world, it shot up for about three million. It's, it's about half a billion now. So, um, so we we are moving in the right direction, but not at the same pace as perhaps the rest of the world. 
But as we start to improve our education, our access to technology, and and and, our, and allow innovative spirit to to flourish, I think we are going to move quicker ahead than the rest of the world. I mean, we we are delivering drone uh, blood supplies through drones in Rwanda. I mean, who right. would have thought that a few years ago? Uh, so the opportunities are we get we see entrepreneurs starting to to network with each other. Um, uh, leveraging each other's value chains and building ecosystems. And, and in fact, you know, uh, as a group and as a collective, as an ecosystem, digital yeah. ecosystem, they are much more formidable than, than they're functioning on their own, each one of them. And those are the things that we concern ourselves at the business school is to look at how we can aid and assist and enhance that those processes. But Africa's not out of the woods. I mean, the COVID has dealt us a devastating blow, uh, setting us back uh, in so far as debt levels and, uh, and you know poverty levels quite significant. And that is the trick. It's that Africa is so vulnerable to any economic shock uh, due to our, shall we call it, our fiscal structure. Mm. I can talk a little bit about that, that uh, we have to become a bit more resilient so that we can invest more, um, you know, uh, take our people forward in a more resilient fashion so we don't every time knock, get knocked over when there's a shock happening. So it's very welcoming and very heartening to hear that Google is laying a very a powerful cable uh, along the coast and will reach um, South Africa in July. And that will triple our bandwidth. Wow. And hopefully it will also bring our, 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 um, our, our cost of data down because, and I'm talking at 100 miles an hour here, forgive me, but no, in South exciting. Africa, we have, we have high cell phone penetration, very high, close to 90 or over 90%. But only half of them access the internet. So, so people, you know, need to get through to that stage where I can literally pick up my phone like I did this morning when I did a bit of research on this topic and Google just about anything I want to know. Um, and then that's, that's when it becomes truly empowering. I can buy anything off this device. I can do all my banking, which I did this morning without having to step into any bank. So for me, the costs are coming down with internet penetration and access to data. But for the person in the street, it still remains prohibitively. Aye, so we need to deal with those issues, yeah. Lebang, you've got a bunch of questions too, I'm sure, for the prof. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious, like, because I, I think I first heard about um, the fourth industrial revolution a couple of years ago. And when I first heard about it, I was told, if you don't jump on now, you're already late. So to be having this conversation in 2022, I'm, I'm in, I agree with you fully that, you know, this we should be jumping onto the bandwagon and it's never too late. Do you think we're on time or are we a little bit late? Like, honestly. Luckily, this technology allows you to, um, to, to jump, uh, to frog, frog leap, uh, many other divides that we had in the past. Mm. And uh, what we also find is that youngsters uh, catch on to this technology quite fast also. Mm. Um, so, so that combination of the youth that's, that Africa has and the curiosity of the, of the African youth uh, I think we are we are a bit late, but we, it's not too late. Uh, we can still catch this wave, but uh, we can catch it only if a lot of more people wake up. Um, a government needs to wake up with its regulatory uh, affairs, uh, its yeah. bandwidth issues, its cost of data. Uh, schools need to wake up, and I, I've got a, I can speak for hours about that. Uh, business schools have to wake up. I mean, yeah. uh, we 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 took a 180 degree turn in, in the offering that we did. And a lot of people thought we were, we were, we lost it, you know? Yeah. But because we took that bold step, we can see that in our numbers. And we are training people that are okay with, with uh, technology, business leaders that understand the impact of technology. In fact, our vice chancellor just said the other day, 
the new illiteracy in the 21st century is being not being okay with, with technology is uh, is to be um, you know to be uncomfortable with technology that makes you um, illiterate and makes you uh, a non-participant in what's happening so what what do you think prof the limitations are uh, for us here in Africa, because you mentioned this cable from Google, and we've we've heard yeah. in the past of these situations where you know something goes wrong with the undersea cable, and we've basically left adrift, um, which is which is something nobody should have in the 21st century. Yeah. Because if you're not connected to the world, then the world forgets about you very quickly. But what do you think our major limitations are? I mean, is it cost? We also know many people in this country suffer. You know, you you spoke of of high penetration of cell phones, but that only half the people access the internet. Is that because it's too expensive? Yes. So our data is too expensive, um, and uh, so people just basically use their cell phones for messaging and communications, which is right. not a bad thing. But they can be so much more effective if they get access to to internet. So first of all, I think for the African continent and its broader perspective, it's too vulnerable to economic shocks. And that's because uh, we are too indebted as a, as a continent. Uh, our debt has shot up from over the past five years and doubled from 33% of GDP to 66%. If you compare that with Japan, which has got 200%, you say, okay, we don't have a problem. <laughs> but our debt ratings are so bad that we have to pay so much interest. Yeah. And there's therefore, after paying all of those interests, very little money left for development. So that's the one thing. The second thing that inhibits or that makes us vulnerable is that we lose about 90 billion U.S. dollars in tax uh, illicit flow funds out of Africa. So if we can retain those taxes, we could actually fund our own development. We don't need to go around to the World Bank and those places. And that's due to corruption and tax structuring. So so yeah. if we can find a way to, to contain those two big, shall we call it, uh, uh, fiscal issues, so much more money will be freed up for, for education and for, and for development of infrastructure. And we need to develop infrastructure. We need to get to broaden our footprint, our digital footprint. We need to build platforms. We need to reform our regulations and free the creative spirit of Africa so that people can right. really be part of the globe as opposed to being every time there's a shock, everybody becomes poorer, you know. Right. Uh, that is, that is, uh, we, uh, that vulnerability bothers me tremendously, uh, and we need to do something about that. And, and, and we've seen, you know, where there's internet penetration, there are jobs. I mean, Kenya's internet penetration is running close to 90%. And, and you can see the effect of that in the Kenyan economy. In Burundi, it's only 5%, and I don't have to talk about that. Um, so, so there is real correlations of progress where you can where you can unlock this potential in the manner that I've that I've described at the moment. Prof, are you are you generally quite optimistic about the future of Africa? Because this is something I often argue with people about. You know, you get a lot of pessimistic South Africans who are they're very uh, negative. They say, "Oh well, you know, there's so much corruption," which you have hinted at already. You mentioned it just a moment ago uh, that we've got. You know, bad infrastructure, or at least not the infrastructure that we probably need in order to onboard more people into this fourth industrial revolution. Um, there are obviously limiting factors, but but all in all, are you the kind of person who wakes up in the morning going, I'm very glad to be here. I see opportunities. I see lots and lots of problems. Those problems need solving. And therefore, there's a way to earn money. I mean, as a business school, it would be a big problem if you were a pessimist, wouldn't it? Well, look, uh, there's a correlation also. Positive people live longer and they are healthier people. So, you know, that's just for yes. that angle. 
Yes. Uh, it's advisable to be positive. But yes, I am positive. I'm, I'm working with young people. I've come from the private sector. I worked in government. And being exposed to this uh, enormous talent of young people and bright people, it's for me uplifting. I mean, I, I don't sweat coming to work. I enjoy coming to work. And uh, says, I mean, last week we had our first graduation of MBAs, and these are exceptionally wow. bright people, and in very hard subjects. I mean, we're talking about yeah. data science, we're talking about artificial intelligence, we're talking about young people building bots and robots that are excited about how they can deploy it. And so all the enthusiasm is there. I think what we need to do is to get rid of the lethargic responses to, to, to real issues that, that can unlock this uh, thing. The other, uh, unlock this potential. The other bugbear that I have, that I unfortunately have to slip in everywhere where I go, is uh, the way we have reset to lower levels, re- reset the bar in our education, in our mm. primary school and high school education. Almost like we're saying our kids are not good enough to do and to be stretched. And so by the time they get to university, their brains are underdeveloped. And therefore, universities have to struggle to develop the brains to the extent that it should be. Whereas if they were developed at a much younger age, like most other countries are doing, the Singaporeans are doing, the Chinese are doing, they are stretching their kids. So uh, a neuroscience, unfortunately, works like that. The more you stretch yeah. your brain, the more you develop it. Brain is a muscle, you know, and you can build new neurons and new thinking patterns and you combine analytics with design and creativity. And so those barriers of only left brain or right brain development is gone out by the window. You have to develop both your brains to, sub- to survive in the, in the future. So, yeah. so we backward integrate and also say, why are we setting so low expectations for our kids? We must raise the expectations. Yes. We must improve schooling. So when they get to university, they can actually flourish and, and, and live out their potential. So, so those are the, ex, you know, the inhibiting factors that, that may frustrate me. But the more we talk about it in the manner that we do today, more people should sit up and say, hey, some, you know, we need to, we need to, we, we owe our young kids a better future. Mm. Prof, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up the young kids because I look at the state of most primary schools in South Africa right now and I'm automatically bothered. Um, when I think back to when the lockdown began, the almost automatic reaction for most schools was, you know, let's go digital, let's go online for the schools that were able to do that. And that automatically led to the parents struggling. I mean, as a parent, I had no idea where to start. I couldn't afford to get my child a laptop. I was like, what am I doing? I'm way out of my depth. And for the other schools, particularly in other areas like the townships and, um, you know, in Markaya, they come, kids just didn't go to school. They just stopped. There was nothing that they could do. So, I feel like there's a bit of a, a big gap that we're dealing with right now where we're saying, you know, schools need to, you know, be more forward thinking. We need to digitize, blah, blah, blah. But if those basics um, of, you know, how do our kids get to school? Some of these kids are walking. Some of them aren't even eating. They're getting to school and they're falling asleep. The the, the, the state of the classroom, the desks are falling apart. And the, the teachers are angry. If all of those things are still such major problems, how then, Prof, are we just, you know, supposed to, you know, just get to, oh, but here's some iPads. Don't worry about books. Here's, you know, I, I just worry that um, I, I see the vision. We do need to get to that point. But as you're saying, these kids' brains, by the time they get to university, they haven't even had a chance to develop to the, the place that they need to. So um, that is, I guess, what I'm posing to you. How do we get there? Um, but also considering the basic needs of really what most of the, the, the schools in South Africa are looking like right now, the status of these schools. So, so we caught the double whammy. So first of all, we have lots of uh, the graduate unemployment is growing mm. because we said lots of young people that are uh, 
unemployable or underemployed at the moment. I often speak to waitresses waitress in, in, in restaurants. These are the graduates that can't find a job. So we have to play catch-up in that arena. But while we play catch-up, we can't keep on producing people that are not fit for the market as we go yeah. forward. Yeah. You also have to fix the back, back end. So, so we have to accept that there will be, have to be a major catching up, not just for graduates, but for everybody. I mean, if you look at what's happening in the world, the World Economic Forum <laughs> says that by 2013, 10 years' time, uh, one-third of the jobs, as we know them, will disappear. All jobs that can be done routinely will be done by robots. In fact, I just mm-hmm. read Singapore now because of the COVID restrictions. They are not bringing the foreigners back. They're putting all the, the, the jobs like the ivory assistants and they put them on, on robots. So, so we, in any case, we'll have to go through a major reskilling of even current workers and current graduates and also teachers, you know, as, as, as I throw them in. Yeah. So we have a background that can be expedited because I do believe that once you have a degree, your brain has got some, it's shown some responsiveness and resilience for a rather quicker, quicker than normal reskilling. So we would have to reskill that. But at the same time, we can't keep on pumping people in, out of the system that are not fit. So we have to go back into the system and say, fix that also as well. So our school should be digitized. Uh, should be learning foreign languages. Uh, you know, they should be stretching their brain. So, so we, we've got a bit of now, a lot of our hands, but I, I believe it's doable. I think it's doable, yes. Prof, I'm, I'm always very pleased to see that, that institutions like the Johannesburg Business School are churning out MBA graduates. The, the problem is, and, and you've kind of also mentioned this already too, does the market have enough space for people? And I, I think the nice thing about being in business or being an entrepreneur or getting an MBA is that really you open up all kinds of avenues to start something even where there isn't something. It's not like studying law or medicine and hoping that there's a space for you in the system you kind of um you kind of you guys are adding value to the entire economy i should think but there is also something i was a little bit concerned to hear and it's something i've thought about a lot you know we are churning out from the basic education department and even you know some of our better high schools churning out people that may not be ready for the kind of tertiary level inst- tertiary level education that you guys provide. What I mean by that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, is that we, we, we seem to, to have people who are coming out of the school system who sometimes aren't even literate and numerate. And this is a major, major problem because you can't, as the Johannesburg Business School, which is a, a thriving, uh, a complex, a, an, an, an evolved and a, and a, a much more um, a much much higher level institution than many of the others around South Africa. You can't be playing catch up with students. You can't be taking in people who haven't learnt during the twelve years of school the basic things that they need to grasp, so that your degrees are worthwhile. So, so we accept that we we play in a particular segment, and we will do make the difference where we can. Uh, in, in, shall we call it, in our segment that we have influence over. But I fully agree with you. We can't, mm. from university, we can't correct the, the school system, and that's a discussion that we have to have. And I won't repeat what we've just discussed here. I think no. we are, we are at, at Edom with the fact that we have to fix up our school systems. But where we do play a role, we are very conscious of societal that, we in, that we're operating So we do play because we see that not everybody's going to get a job Although with an MBA, your chance of getting a job is a lot higher than other degrees. 
But we also play in the, in the entrepreneurial space. And I deliberately don't call it SMME because I want to get out of this notion that that all entrepreneurs should remain small. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurship development. And with technology, we find that you can platform and you can become a significant player very quickly. In fact, eroding a value change of the big corporates because they are not as agile as, as, as the smaller startups. And I'm happy to see that in South Africa, we're starting to see tech startups that are actually becoming very meaningful players. I mean, we see it across the world. The seven fastest growing companies are tech startups and they are turning billions of rands out. So those intelligent businesses are going to become the order of the day. So we're positioning ourselves to assist those types of entrepreneurs. But where I will agree with you, it's not our job to go back and fix the school system. But interestingly enough, in the entrepreneur space, uh, we have grown from 200, about just two two years ago, uh, entrepreneurs under our wing to over a 1,000. And the way we've done it is that our MBA students have actually a uh, entrepreneurship as his project, as his practical project. So we combine that, that they become real-world consultants, and we have seen quite a bit of success with that. In fact, on average, our SVMEs have grown by 25%, even during the COVID period. What's also interesting, one tends to think of entrepreneurship, or entrepreneurs mostly in a survivalist mode or through the survivalist lens. We are now seeing people that exit very high-paying jobs, you know, and they said, I'm going to start my own business. I've learned enough about how to manufacture soap and detergents. I'm going to start my own business. And they come with their degrees through our entrepreneurship program, and they supply now to, to, to large markets in the township. And what we are doing is we keep them in this digital ecosystem that we are busy developing with cloud computing and all of those things so that they can talk to each other. And I always use the example, and it's a very simplistic example, is that the auntie that runs a spaza shop in the one corner might run out of flour to make a fed cook. Yes. And instead of taking the taxi to Johannesburg to go buy flour, she could just go onto the internet or well, onto a system and check another auntie next door might, might have some flour. And in that way, collaborate and bring the cost, drive the cost down. Now, that's a very simplistic example, but it's a good example to show sure. uh, entrepreneurs, if they collaborate and work together, how uh, they can become much more effective and cost-effective cost also. And and then the, the township economy is buoyant. I mean, it's really, really buoyant. Uh, if I, but again, yeah. I want to stay away from entrepreneurship just being a township adventure. You know, sure. it's a... It's, it's for but, smart young people to, to become business people. But there are certain, certain externalities which also affect business in this country, and I'm sure it's stuff that co- comes across your desk all the time and things that you're concerned with. We, we do have a very government-dominated economy in South Africa. The government is the biggest spender. Uh, in very many cases, it's also the, the, the major partner for any independent companies. You know, if they don't do business with government, they're really dealing with the scraps. And a lot of people in South Africa look to government, but government, we know, uh, the president admitted as much in his State of the uh, Nation speech this year, government can't create jobs. So there's extra pressure on all of us in business to create opportunities for people. Um, is there anything that ordinary people can do? And what would you advise government to do if you were asked, and I'm sure you, do, well, you are asked occasionally, uh, what advice do you have for them? Well, look, so if you just look at, uh, I know government don't create jobs, but government sit on an enormous expenditure framework. I mean, government is probably the biggest spender, uh, well, not probably, it is the biggest it spender. And so they, so they, uh, they, they, they can be smart and they have to fix it up and they have to lock people up that don't come to the party. 
But what your government should focus on is to create the enabling environment. In other yes. words, make sure that our roads are proper. Make sure that our uh, electricity supply or, or, or energy supply is consistent and enabling. Make sure that our ports are operative. Uh, make sure that our supply chains can work. You know, uh, just basically fix the country. I mean, I, I drive around parts of this country and I, I can't believe what has happened sure. that we have actual main roads that are you have to drive on the sideways to get yeah. through this town. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and it's not just about from a commercial perspective, but it's also from a psychological perspective. If you work in a place that's clean and neat and conducive, you won't think too little about it. It makes you, it gives you energy, it gives you positive spirit. Uh, and so government has to fix those things. And, and I think, uh, Gareth, if I may be as bold, and I, I come from the days when you were an activist, you got beaten up, so I'm quite prepared to take a few shots on this. Um, we as civil society are too passive. I mean, we have to march and we have to keep government accountable. We have to tell government we are not prepared to live in this filth. We are not prepared to drive through these portals. And as a civic society, civil society, we have to keep them accountable. We are, must say we are sick and tired of our kids falling down pit latrines. I mean, it's just un- unbelievable. We are yeah. sick and tired of our kids being under, undereducated, and they can't therefore be successful at university. And I tell you, we are a very rich country. I've been with the tax, for, uh, tax authority for a long time. We collect trillions of rand, so we collect a lot of money. So I'm not saying that we can fix everything, but we can do a lot more yeah. to make for an enabling environment, and also whilst in that enabling environment, call out people that are corrupt and find ways that government spending is directed to create the psychological space where we all can be positive, because that's already a big plus. So perhaps I'm becoming too philosophical for you. No, but, uh, not at all. No, no, Prof. This is the this is why we have you on, and uh, I'm thrilled. Mm. I'm thrilled that we got a whole half half an hour with you this morning. There are probably enough questions that both Lebang and I have to talk to you for three hours. But um, just to wrap it up, I'll let you have the last word, Lebang. Is there anything else you want to ask, Prof. Uh, Karelison, before we say goodbye? Um, it's not. It's not really a question. It's more like I'm quite excited to see what um, the Joburg Business School will really like digitally have to do in this transformation. Because one of my things has always been, why is, um, for example, entrepreneurship not taught at a primary school level, at a high school level? Why is that not? Uh, is there no emphasis put on that? Um, so I'm quite keen and excited to see what you guys do, and I really, really believe that there'll be a positive outcome and an impact because, again, it's up to us. We can't sit and wait for the government to come and save us. Mm-hmm. Um, we need people like you, Prof, who believe enough in this um, to s- share that same vision to people who can actively participate in that. And I think the big answer in that is working with young people and allowing their creativity to flourish. So thank you guys for your work. And let's see what you guys can do. That's what I'm keen for. Well, watch us. We are the... Uh... I always say we're the baby, the newest school, two years old, but we're the noisiest baby. <laughs> but we are, I, I, I am excited also because we just graduated our first uh, MBA students, uh, and we had a huge intake, well, not a huge, but quite a big intake in PhD, doctoral students in digital transformation, 30, more, 33 actually, we were only going to take eight. And there's a huge interest in us offering a different business school experience. I'm not saying the other business schools are not necessarily the right space, but we want to offer a different experience that make you tech digitally savvy and hopefully that you can impart that wherever you go into society because we're only one school and we hope that that influence will go across the country. Uh, thanks for, for having me. I really enjoyed this discussion. And you guys stretched me a bit. <laughs>
No, what a, what what a pleasure to to have you on. I mean, from what you're saying, there's no lack of talent in this in this continent and in this country. There's no lack of opportunity for us to find ways to make ourselves useful in the marketplace. I think that there are exciting possibilities just about everywhere, and I'm just I'm delighted. I'm going to echo mm. uh, Lebang's statement about how the Johannesburg Business School is really at the forefront of pushing these things forward. Thank you, Prof. Good to have you on. Thank you, and have a good day, Professor. Too, Prof. uh, that is Professor. Bye. Randall Kar- Whoa. I'm going to sneeze there. Professor Randall Karolison, who is from the Johannesburg Business School, what a pleasure to have you on. Cliffcentral.com.